Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor. And Trish McGregor. And our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out our books. This year we have two Trish's latest novel, White Crows, will be coming out. And we have a nonfiction book we co-authored called The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Okay, our guest today is Sharon Hewitt. Rollett, a writer and philosopher fascinated by coincidences, those strange enigmatic experiences often personally meaningful and yet push the boundaries of what we consider scientifically possible. Her 2019 book, The Source and Significance of Coincidences, presents a wealth of evidence concerning the statistical significance of coincidences, their range of probable causes, and how we can best interpret their implications for our lives. She also writes about uh, coincidences on her Psychology Today blog, Mysteries of, Mysteries of Consciousness, and some of her recent research at the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. She also, was also a runner-up in the Robert Bigelow Essay Contest to Prove that Consciousness Survives Death. Congrats, Sharon, and welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having yeah, we, me back on the show. All right, yeah, we'd like to talk to you about... Uh, your essay was. Uh, well, I have a, what was it like going there <laughs> and, and saying being being congratulated? That must have been great. Oh, it it was um, because really uh, this was the first time. So going to the ceremony, uh, the award ceremony was the first time that I have met um, that many other researchers in my field in one place. Oh, wow. um, besides, yeah. you know, going to going up to UVA where you know I met. Uh-huh. You know, it was maybe five or ten people. Um, this was like a, just you know an auditorium full of people, <laughs> and it was just it was just amazing to just look around and see what good company I was in, and get wow. to meet a lot of these people whose you know work I've been enjoying for years, and and just chat with them. It, it was really cool. Oh, where where was that held? It was in Vegas. Um, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Bigelow headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. Did you meet him? Yes. Yes, uh, he's a very, just very down to earth. Um, uh-huh. You know, you wouldn't know it from the stuff that he studies, but right. like he's yeah. just, you know, he's just a very friendly, you know, person, very easy to talk to. So yeah, it was, it was really cool to, to see nice. him. Was Leslie Keen there? Yes, yes, she was. Um, she was one of the uh, first people that I spoke to. Um, I've, uh, I've long admired her work. I, I yeah. love her, you know, her, uh, book on UFOs and then her surviving mm-hmm. death book. Um, right. So yeah, very it was, impressive. Yes, yeah, she's just a very, uh, a very systematic thinker. Even though you know she's a journalist, um, but I feel like 
she goes even beyond what a lot of journalists do and, and really thinks hard about these topics and the way that she organizes her research and her presentation of them. So, yeah. And she was one of the uh, two uh, co-authors when the New York Times came out with the UFO, thing. UFO uh, reports on a Sunday. Uh, one yeah, s- yeah, front page on a Sunday paper about the Navy's yeah. UFO sightings, right? Yeah. yeah, no, she's definitely very much in the heart of of what's going on with the right. the whole cultural shift about that conversation. Yeah, yeah that's, that's going Did on. Did anybody yeah. mention UFOs? <laughs> um. It yeah, and some really side conversations. It wasn't the, <laughs> yeah, right. the main topic, but yes, it did come off a time or two. Yeah. Uh, so your essay begins with uh, apparitions. Uh, why did you choose that subject as the primary uh, basis for your essays to prove that life continues after death? Um. Well, I don't know if I would say that I consider it the primary basis. I do think it's an important pillar in the, right. but really what I was trying to do was to provide um, an essay that shows how all of these different pieces fit together. So uh-huh. for yeah. me, it was really important to to put all of the different puzzle pieces in place. But I do think that apparitions are a very important piece of that. And that's why they did get, I talked about them first um, and right. I did spend so much time on them. And part of the reason that they are so important is that they are one of the most common after death communication phenomena. Uh, So a lot of people have experienced them, but also they have been studied more extensively um, by, you know, uh, scientists and other investigators uh, more than many of the other phenomena because back in you know the 1880s when the Society for Psychical Research in um, London and then the one in in the U.S. was getting started, one of their main uh, areas of research was on um, apparitions, what they called mm-hmm. crisis apparitions at the time because they weren't only focused on after death ones; they also were interested in like telepathic apparitions. Right. Uh, but they collected just a huge number of cases that um, that they really carefully investigated. So like they would go, they would not only talk to, you know, the person who experienced it, but they would talk to their friends and family. They would get um, signed witness statements from all of the people that were connected to it. They were really very diligent in documenting this stuff. And mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there are a lot of cases that they collected that are very evidential and that have mm-hmm. just really interesting, um, really interesting facets to them. So it was easy to talk about apparitions and to show all of these different evidential right. qualities that are present too in dreams or in poltergeist cases or mediumship, uh, but they come out especially clearly in the apparitions just because there's so many cases to draw from. Yeah, and I think the apparitions, uh, the cases where people have dreams or visions where they don't know that the person has died, yeah, are those are, th- those are fascinating because it, it <clears throat> seems like there is more evidence there because if you already know the person is dead, it could be your imagination, but here you don't even know. I, I've had two experiences myself, and both times I didn't know the person was dead. Yeah, mind or more in the dream state or waking yeah, well, dream, actually. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them are. I mean, I think honestly, I think that um, dream 
communications with deceased loved ones are more common, but yeah. it's harder to uh, prove their evidentiality. Right. Um, yeah. it, it, you you kind of have to be there in the dream. Um, yeah. Now there there are, no there are some evidential cases, and I do talk about some of those in the book. Um, but they're just there are fewer of them, and they've been less researched. I think partly because of that. Uh-huh. Um, but but yes, the fact that these apparitions often happen before the person even knows that the person appearing has died, it, it I mean, clearly shows this is not just wishful thinking. It's not that right. they were just you know so grief stricken <laughs> and really wished to see their loved one that the person appeared. Something else is clearly going on. And in fact, um, Erlander uh, Haroldson, who was one of the the preeminent uh, researchers of after death communications. Um, he died just, I don't know, a, a year or two ago, I think, uh, not, not long ago, but a few years before he died, he put out this book, um, the departed among the living where he really systematically looked at, uh, mostly apparition cases. And he has some statistics in there about these apparitions that occur before the experiencer knows about the death. So, um, out of all of the after-death apparitions that he collected, and he had, I think, 400-some cases, one in nine of those cases happened within 24 hours of the person dying. Wow. Okay, yeah. so, so one in nine happened in that time frame. And mm-hmm. of those uh, apparitions that happened within 24 hours of the death, 86% of them happened before the person knew that that person wow. was dead. Yeah, that's impressive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So in that time frame where it's where people are just finding out about the death, it is very common. It is more common than not for the person to perceive the apparition before they know about the yeah. passing. Yeah. You've got a, also a really interesting section in the essay about apparitions that appear to bystanders, including to animals. How common is that? <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's really important evidentially for some of the same reasons because, you know, a bystander in the way that I'm using the term is somebody who's not emotionally invested mm-hmm. in carrying on a conversation with this person who's departed. Right. Uh, it's, yeah. They don't have a very strong uh, connection to them, uh-huh. uh, but they seem to be able to, I mean, maybe they are, are better able to perceive these communications from this other realm. Uh, and so, uh, so they get a communication from this person and often they will pass it on to somebody who's more closely Uh, connected to them. Now, I don't know um, if we have any statistics on this. I can't think of any, uh, you know, careful studies that have been done of their prevalence, Uh, but they are just my sense of it. The bystander cases are very common because really, if you think about it, um, media any medium or or psychic who routinely uh-huh. sees deceased people that's really a bystander case because right. mm-hmm. they're they're not the one that's principally right. involved exactly. um so we have a lot of examples of that um and the animal cases too um you know we obviously don't know exactly what the animals are perceiving but <laughs> yeah. but you know but they do they do seem to usually react with fear like they, they don't uh-huh. quite know right. what this thing is that's yeah that's appearing yeah. there uh, and that seems very common um yeah. anytime i would say probably 
I, I can't think of any cases where somebody sees an apparition, there's an animal in the room and the animal doesn't react. It seems uh -huh. like they are yeah. always saying, and my cat or my dog, you know, was right. cowering in the corner. Yeah. So that well, wonder, seems common. Is there, are there any cases where the animal recognizes the spirit that you can think of? <laughs> Another <laughs> safe reaction. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do. I do think I, I've certainly come across some cases where it seemed like the animal, especially a dog, uh -huh. was like greeting someone who wasn't there, you know, right. wagging their tail, maybe like jumping up. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's a little bit hard to to yeah. make that evidential. Right. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, you know. <laughs> Is there any particular case that really stands out to you uh, regarding apparitions that uh, that you found to be one of the more impressive ones that you can think of? Oh, one of my, yeah, one of the ones that I found most impressive, especially in this category of apparitions that happened before that you know that the person has died, mm -hmm. was this um, one that was, in fact, connected collected by the Society for Psychical Research. And um, this mm -hmm. happened probably in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, but it's such a cool case because, again, it's one of those really well-documented ones. And in this case, there was a young um, English woman. She's still a teenager. And she was actually living uh, in Europe, in Belgium, uh, going to school there. Mm -hmm. And while she was um, off at school, you know, in that time, they didn't have a lot of uh, any fast communication between yeah. uh, England and the continent. Uh, so she didn't know what was going on back at home, but she was um, praying in the school chapel one day and she had this apparition of, I think it was her, it was her uncle or godfather. It was a, it was an older male figure um, that was in that kind of role. Um, he appeared like sitting next to her in the chapel and he said, that he wanted her to pray for him because he had, uh, I think, proposed marriage to someone. He said he had proposed marriage, but he had been turned down and he had done something really stupid and killed himself as a result. Oh, so yeah. he needed her to pray for him. And mm. so she was, I mean, this was a little startling. Um, <laughs> so she, uh, three days after that, she got... Well, actually, I don't know if she got the letter three days later. Three days after it, her mother wrote a letter to her and told her that three days before the apparition is when this man had killed himself. Um, mm -hmm. Or at least she, the mom said that he had died. Um, yeah. she, didn't, she didn't give many details. But the girl, having had this conversation with him, sort of, she wanted to know if some of these details that he had conveyed were true. And so she wrote mm -hmm. back to her mom or, or talked to her later on and said, you know, that person said that he uh, was turned down by this woman and that he <laughs> killed himself. Is Kill that himself. true? And she said, indeed, that that's what yeah. had happened. Yeah. So, so you have, I mean, not only the fact that she didn't know he was dead, but he gave her specifics about what right. had happened. Right. Well, yeah. well, you had one, uh, other thing here about uh, spirit contact in which the apparition informs somebody that they'll be joining them soon on the other side, yeah. in other words, that they're going to be dying. That's kind of um, like the story about the guy who was washing his car. That was so bizarre. Yeah, can you go into that? Yeah, so so these cases where 
an apparition of the deceased kind of announces the impending death of a living person are pretty common. Now, mm. normally, um, the person is very sick, you know, they're on their deathbed. Like uh, they kind right. of know that death is coming, uh, but, you know, maybe don't know the exact hour or day. But then when when loved one, deceased loved ones start appearing and they start talking to them, everybody around them knows, okay, they're about to pass. So it, this is this is a common thing for the, the dead to kind of appear and prepare you uh-huh. for crossing. Uh, but in this case, it's a little bit more startling because uh, this man who had lost his wife, um, he he was just starting to really kind of get over the the main part of his grief and kind of enjoy his life again and you know getting out and doing things again. Mm-hmm. And um, he what he was talking to researcher Diane Archangel who's the one who tells us about this in her book, Afterlife Encounters. So I guess he'd been involved in her research talking about his communication with his deceased wife. Mm -hmm. But um, he told her one day, he was like, my wife appeared to me while I was washing the car. He was, I think, getting ready to trade it in or something. And so he was washing it to, you know, uh, get the most money that he could for it. Uh, And his wife appeared to him. He said it was like she was there, like just a living person. She was there and she said to me, don't bother washing the car. Just go spend time with your family and friends because you're going to be with me soon. Wow. So, God, the poor so, guy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So he went and uh, he actually went to Diane's office and told her, well, this thing is happening. And this actually, I think it was part of a sort of a string of more and more communication he'd been getting from his wife. And he was like, you know, this is a little bit upsetting that I'm starting to hear from her a lot more. Now she's saying this thing. Yeah, he was getting some dreams, wasn't he? Having dreams related to. I think maybe uh, synchronicities too. Like just uh, okay. yes, um, yeah. some different things. So, so he went and told Diane that, and then I guess I think he like went off to work or something. And just a few hours later, she gets a phone call, uh, I think from his boss, saying that he had been in a, in a car accident and died. Yeah. That that same day that he told her about that encounter. Yeah. So no wonder the the uh, wife said, "Don't wash your car." <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be so beat up. It won't even matter. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you so, know, you you mentioned this thing with uh, Marty Caden and the cigar smoke. Oh yeah. That, so we met him years ago, and he and he was smoking a cigar. I mean, he right. was a cigar smoker. Yeah, we met him at a uh, at a bookstore where we were doing a signing, and he was doing a signing. And there actually, it was actually a benefit uh, for something. you know something. Uh, and and he invited us over to his house and showed us his PK room. Yeah, he invited all, he invited all the writers there to go over to his house to see his uh, psychic experiences, uh, psychokinetic experiences that uh, or experiments, exper- experiments yeah. that he was having. We were the only ones oh. who decided to go there, which is really fascinating. He had this closet that he had sealed off with a glass door and. Uh, sealed off the vent and everything and he had this table with these little uh what would you call the paper uh uh whirly bird things that spin around and 
when he walked up to them, they started moving. Some were moving clockwise, some were moving counterclockwise. It was, it was fascinating. Uh, it really was the real deal. <laughs> yeah. And he he was uh, actually uh, working with Lloyd Auerbeck, who is a parapsychologist. And he was one of the mm-hmm. ones mentioned in your book yeah. or, or in the essay that he, he uh, received or was experiencing the cigar smoke the same time this is what i find fascinating at the same time two other people in different locations were getting uh the the, the cigar yeah smoke as well. yeah that's why i included it because um so i'm interested in cases of course where multiple people right. um, see an apparition or have a communication at the same time but it's even more interesting when multiple people perceive it and they're not even in the same room or in this case yeah. in the same state. I mean, cause uh, in this case, Lloyd Auerbach was on the West coast. Uh, and then one of the other guys was in New Jersey and then, um, one was in Florida. Huh. Uh, so, but apparently all of them at the same time in their, they were all traveling. One was in a car, two were in planes, but in whatever vehicle they were in, they all at the same time had this bizarre cigar smoke smell suddenly. And from what you're saying, like this guy really was a very avid cigar smoker. So um, it makes total sense. Right. And also very interested in the paranormal. He had written a number of books. He wrote a lot of aviation books as well, but also books about strange things happening in the sky uh, <laughs> while, while flying, uh, going through like uh, time uh, warps and th- things, uh, different stories he included in his book. And there's also a synchronicity for us, a kind of a strange one, because um, at the time we met him, I just... Uh, finished writing my seventh Indiana Jones novel, and I, I told Lucasfilm, I'm not uh, in Bantam Books. I, I got to take a break from this. I don't want to do these anymore for a while. And then two weeks later, I get a call <laughs> from Marty and say, I'm taking over your series. <laughs> I don't know how that <laughs> because, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he knew I wrote those books, and I might have mentioned that I stopped writing them, but the, the likelihood of a author saying, calling up and making some say okay i'm gonna i'll, I'll take the over this series <laughs> very unlikely to to uh you know you can try it but it's unlikely that you know it's gonna happen yeah so. no that, that's pretty cool yeah, yeah i didn't know that you guys had a connection to him although maybe i should have suspected it when one of the <laughs> the planes was in florida but right. uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah that's pretty cool you know we also had a cigar smoke thing we were going through the bill that's right yeah in uh Asheville, and oh. we came into this room where the, in the old times, the men used to gather and smoke. The library. The think. library, yeah. I guess it was. And the, the smell of cigar was so strong. So as we left, I asked the doorman, I said, uh, yeah, one of the guards. Is, is, the, is this place haunted? He said, <laughs> no, we're not haunted. I said, well, what's the cigar smell? He goes, well, you know, other people have reported yeah. that. I mean, there's no, and he said, there's no smoking in this yeah, building. Yeah, no smoking in this building. <laughs> yeah, so they did like yeah. purposely try to make it smell like a smoking room. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Hmm. So, so what? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ahead. So what is the uh, super super size, uh, hypo- hypothesis that uh, tries to explain away apparitions uh, as being uh, <laughs> as not being related to the afterlife? Can you explain that? Yeah. So, and who came up with this? Super <laughs> <thing>? <laughs> um, so, 
the probably most prominent proponent of it uh, right now is Stephen Broad. And I don't, I feel like there's another parapsychologist who mentioned it before him. And uh, it's also called the living agent psi hypothesis. I can't think of the other person's name right now, but, um, Mm -hmm. but basically this is a hypothesis. um, And uh, Stephen Broad doesn't necessarily say that he thinks that this does account for these, uh, for apparitions and other after death Mm -hmm. phenomena. He just says, this is something we have to take very seriously. We have to consider Mm-hmm. Uh, it as an alternative hypothesis. So right. the I, the idea is that the so the evidence that we've been talking about so far about why apparitions aren't just wishful thinking um, because they provide new information, uh, they you know occur before you know the person is dead. People who know something about how psychic phenomena operate will say, okay, well we, you know, living people have psychic abilities. Like you could know telepathically that somebody had passed away or, and you mm-hmm. could know telepathically how they died. Um, so you might just be getting a telepathic message from your loved one before they passed away. Uh, especially because sometimes telepathic messages get delayed. You know, you may not be receptive to them when the person is originally uh-huh. sending them, but then, you know, the next time you, fall asleep or something, you'll have a dream where the message will come to you or so, so they can be delayed in time. So uh, we have to consider the possibility that these apparitions could be produced by the person before they were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're receiving it psychically. Right. Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, there's this sort of hypothesis for for many of the different phenomena that people um, experience after death, this idea that our the, the psychic abilities of living people uh, are that we can use those psychic abilities unconsciously, mm-hmm. and that in certain cases, especially crisis cases, cases of you know very strong emotion, um, we can kind of create. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we simulate. Uh-huh. We we might be able to simulate the presence of this person that you know we want to talk to. So how do we know that these aren't just psychic simulations? Right. That seems like complicated. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I like in your essay how you take a look at uh, the different skeptical points of view and uh, show how yeah maybe maybe in some cases that that's correct. But then you're saying also look at all these cases, all these different variations that all point to the existence of life after death that makes it hard to totally mm-hmm. dis- discount. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, so I, I took it very seriously in the essay because, I, because it was something that was important to me to answer a question that I wanted to answer for myself. Well, is, is this true or are they just simulations? Mm-hmm. And that was one of the main questions that was on my mind as I was doing all this research over the past, you know, five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two things that have, that for me really deflated the living agent's eye hypothesis <laughs> were um, intermission memories. So uh, memories that, Children who remember past lives uh, often have a memories of the time between lives. Right. So, um, 
because what the living agent psi hypothesis, again, with regard to past life memories, uh, was that, well, these children just have some sort of psychic connection with a person who died. And so they're able to access their memories, but it doesn't really mean that that person is still alive <laughs> or, um, or maybe they are somehow alive again in this other child's body, but that doesn't mean that they were alive, you know, in the interim period, right. like they need a, a biological body to be attached to somehow, um, for their memories to be active or present. But when you look at all of these children who not only remember previous lives, but they remember, they remember dying in that life. They remember so many of the same things that near death experiencers talk about, like coming out of their body, floating up. Um, They, but Mm -hmm. even more than near death experiencers, they remember, you know, having watched their own funeral. Um, There are verifiable details that children have given about how they were buried, things that they couldn't have known unless right. they were present. Um, they uh, remember interacting with other deceased people on the other side. Uh, they remember uh, actually watching their future parents before they were mm. conceived or born. Um, and then some of them actually remember the process of, kind of coming into their new body. So you have all this this continuity of conscious experience and and memory of that conscious experience between those, those two lives. And for Mm -hmm. me, it does, it just, it doesn't make any sense to say (laughs) that, that this, their memories are just living agents. I like, no, these, I mean, unless, unless you're going to suspect that every memory that a person has had ever in their life is somehow, you know, fooling them and they never really lived and they never really experienced the things they remember. Um, I think you, at a certain point, you just have to say, no, I think that (laughs) what's going on here is exactly what it looks like is going on here is that our, our consciousness does continue after death. You know, it's interesting Spielberg years ago, I can't remember which show there was a show where it was about a young boy who went around visiting two different houses and by the end of the show, you realize he was looking to see which family he wanted to be born into. And I oh. wish I could remember the name of the show or what. It, it was fascinating. Yeah, that's that. And it was way ahead of its time. <laughs> and and you yeah. refer to that as the intermission period. Is that uh, correct? Yeah, lives? that's mm-hmm. that's what um, most of the scientific researchers who research that call it now. Yeah. Intermission. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Intermission memories. Right. Yeah. Um, I was fascinated when you mentioned mentioned of cases where living people actually have appeared as apparitions. Uh, can you talk about the case in which the man was, I think he was crossing the Atlantic on a ship uh, and he saw his living wife standing beside his berth? Uh, yes. So this was actually the second thing I was going to mention is the kind of cases that for me just destroy the living agent psi hypothesis. So this is perfect time. Um, So, so yeah, so in this case, um, again, this is one of the ones from the late 1800s that was really thoroughly uh, researched by the Society for Psychical Research. Uh, So this this was actually appearing in their, the proceedings, um, their official uh, record of their meetings. Uh, So in any case, um, back in the 1860s, uh, this fellow, uh, Mr. Wilmot, 
was crossing the Atlantic. He was going from Liverpool uh, to New York. And he's in this, this ship, and there was a big storm, apparently, like a multi-day storm um, early on in this voyage. And then finally, the storm calmed down, and everybody was able to get a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. So then this night when he finally, you know, was able to sleep really well, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees his wife who was not on the ship with him. His wife was living, was in Connecticut with his family. Like he had left his family behind in Connecticut. So he's going back to, to, to meet them, but um, they're in Connecticut. So he's, but he sees his wife in the doorway of his cabin And she sort of hesitates and it's like, she's looking at, so he was um, on a lower bunk in this cabin and there was another guy on the bunk above him. And it was like, she noticed that there was somebody in the bunk above him. And so she kind of hesitated, but then she came in and she bent over him. And um, I think she said something. I don't remember what it was, but she definitely like touched his face and I think gave him Uh. a kiss or something. So Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and the guy in the bunk above actually saw right. the apparition as well. That's what makes it really fascinating. Right. So so the guy, um, you know, the husband, he thought, well, maybe I was just dreaming. Right? Like that was a yeah, nice dream, sure. but maybe, yeah. but you know, I was sleeping really hard. Maybe I just imagined this. But then the guy above him is like, well, you know, aren't you a you know, a lucky guy, you've got this woman to come in and hear to say, <laughs> say goodnight to you or something. And he's like, oh, you saw that too, huh? Okay. Yeah. So, but it, but it goes further because yeah. when he finally gets back to the U.S. Um, and talks to his wife, he said one of the first things that she said to him was, what were you doing a week ago, Tuesday night? Like she was like very specific about the night that this mm-hmm. happened. And uh, come to find out that that on that specific night, she had had an experience of, uh, while she was in bed, I don't know if she called it a dream or if she thought she was awake, but either way, I mean, experience is the same. Uh, so she had an experience of like going out of her body, going across the ocean, these stormy mm. seas wow. to seek her husband coming to this ship going up the side of the ship then going to the stern and his cabin was in the stern. They specifically noted that detail. She went to the stern of the ship. She went into his cabin and she asked him. uh, Now this is when she physically talked to her husband when he, when he arrived in New York, Uh, she asked him. So in that cabin, do you, were there like two bunks and the top one was like further back than the bottom one? And wow. he's like, yes, that's exactly how it was. And she's like, yeah, that's how yeah. I saw it. The, the the one on top was further back. And when I came into your room, I noticed that there was a guy there and I was not sure that I wanted to come in, but then I, you know, came over and like touched you and kissed you. Yeah. So they had the exact same report of what had happened. Um, well, all three people had the right. same report. So that's a uh, that's, that, that's and it's also very difficult for uh, skeptics to dismiss that one. The only thing they could say is, well, it's probably the whole story is probably made up anyhow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose if you think people go around swearing to things that sound <laughs> crazy, but okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but what is what's so fascinating to me about this 
and this is just one, you know, well-documented example of this, but there are many, no. many examples of, of living people who have these out-of-body experiences. Right. So they remember going and visiting someone and that person remembers seeing them as an apparition as well. Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. so apparitions exist of physical, I mean, of, of living people as well as of the deceased. Yeah. But what's you really also have- cool. Yeah. Sorry. Let me just say one other thing yeah, about that yeah. is, um, Back in the uh, 50s or 60s, parapsychologist, um, this guy named Hornell Hart, did a, a systematic comparison of apparitions of living people and apparitions of the deceased, huh. like mm-hmm. compared 20 some different characteristics wow. of Jeez. these and found that the, the rate at which these two different kinds of apparitions showed that characteristic was comparable. So it basically huh. he said, this shows that these are the same phenomenon. Uh, And he said, so if in the case of the living people where we can go and talk to the person who seems to have appeared and they say, yes, I remember appearing and doing this thing, then it only makes sense that when it's a deceased person who is appearing, that they also had a conscious experience of being there, even though we can't directly talk to them and verify it. Right. Yeah. Well, I wonder if this woman had been out of body before. <laughs> you know, her experience was so detailed that it, I would think that she probably had experienced that yeah, at another time as well. Yeah. yeah. So you also uh, have a section in your essay dealing with mediumship, uh, mental and physical mediumship. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the uh, Lenora Piper and yeah, uh, case and uh, why you included her? Well, one of the reasons I included her is that she is um, one of the best documented uh, mediums mm-hmm. in history. Uh, so right. she was studied for a long time by the Society for Psychical Research, um, both in the U.S. and in England. They, she was first studied by uh, the American psychologist William James uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S. And then when the, the British guys uh, got wind of this, they were like, oh, let, let's bring her over here and let's, we wanted to, you know, test her too. So she was thoroughly vetted by people on both sides of the Atlantic. And... Uh, Really, to, I mean, to the extreme sometimes because the fellow that studied her for the longest period of time, um, Hodgson, uh, not only was he like always very careful that when he would bring uh, people to sit for her, like uh, to communicate with their dead loved mm-hmm. ones through her, um, she or he would be very careful not to tell Ms. Piper who they were. So he didn't mm-hmm. give any identifying information. Um, because he wanted to to test the evidentiality of what she had to say. But also for several weeks, he actually hired detectives to follow (laughs) her around, even when she wasn't there in the, Mm -hmm. you know, seance room to follow her and to follow her husband around just to make sure that they weren't like colluding and somehow researching people, you know, outside of the room. So they were really um, trying to make sure that the things that she said she was definitely getting psychically and not in some normal way. Uh-huh. Um, but another reason that I wanted to talk about her in the book is because she is, she's an excellent example of somebody who actually produced a lot of very compelling um, 
communications from the other side. Uh-huh. Uh, but, she, uh-huh. but, but there were also communications that she provided that didn't seem um, compelling. And that those mm-hmm. were in the minority, but I think her case sort of gives a good example of what mediumship is really like in, you right. know, in the real world. It's not a hundred percent. It's, it's, not, right. yeah. you know, you yeah. have to, you have to understand that there, there are parts of it that, yeah, error can leak in or, you know, we don't completely understand how it works. So mm-hmm. I, I was trying to give a, you know, a nice full body picture of, of what it's actually like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I like the idea that uh, that you go into a lot of research from the 19th century. Uh, that that's interesting because this was was a time when there was kind of awakening in the I guess in the Western world in particular about uh, apparitions and contact with mm-hmm. the other side and well, even uh, psychic stuff. Right, uh, uh, and one of the most uh, strong cases, or one, uh, widely, I should say, widely known cases, was the Fox sisters, and uh, I wondered why you didn't include uh, their story in your essay. Well, partly because well, there are a few different reasons. Um, one is the fact that their phenomena were primarily um, communicating through raps, so right, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, sometimes like the raps would spell things out. It was a much more laborious process of getting yeah, right. a message. It, w- it There wasn't as much like, direct telepathy going on yeah, there yeah. with the mediums. Um, but also um, at one they point, debunked, they? well, at one point they confessed to having fraudulently produced some of their phenomena. Mm-hmm. Now, later they took that back and they s- said that they, um, yeah, I, I looked into it them for political reasons or something. But yeah, well, no, for, for money. Uh, it was one of the sisters. I, I read quite a bit okay. about this case uh, years ago, and uh, it was one of the sisters who was broke and needed money. And she was this skeptical group offered her money if she came um, and said it was. Okay. It, it was, yeah. Uh, uh, it was all fake, and and then she later took it back. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a complicated case. Yeah, it's it like, is, well, yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's fascinating, but it was, but in a 25,000 word essay, I was like, there's no way. Yeah, I can right. Yeah. It, you see, you have to go, it would have to, you could spend the 25,000 words just on that case. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So many aspects to it, but it was the one that really sent the, uh, started the, uh, spiritualist movement in this country. Yes. Yeah. Karen, yeah. you need to go to Casa de Inca, <laughs> where everybody speaks to the dead. <laughs> Is that in Florida? Yes. Yeah, it's central Florida. Orlando. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a spiritualist community. But yeah. you would be fascinated by this place. <laughs> we are. Sure. It's a, it has a history. Uh, it goes yeah. back to the uh, 1920s. Yeah. Also, uh, I remember when I was struck reading Leonora Piper's name because I remember in one of Jane Roberts' Seth books, he had mentioned that she had been Leonora Piper. Which kind of fits, and she was a medium in this life. Yeah, I mean, certainly psychic abilities do seem to follow people from life to life. That, yeah. That, what, however, we develop those abilities, they seem to be part of our our soul mm-hmm. and come with us. That's yeah. true. Have you had any uh, apparition sightings yourself? No, okay. I haven't. Well, um, you should. <laughs> well, I, uh, I mean. Uh, 
there was, honestly, there was a time, um, a period where I felt like, or I felt the presence of someone um, that had passed on that, that I had an emotional tie to, and I felt like they were going to appear to me. And I kept yeah. saying, please don't, please don't, please don't. <laughs> I, was too, yeah. I was too freaked out. So I may have missed one of the prime opportunities that I could have had. Um, but also, I honestly, I'm not very... Um, I'm not very psychic when I'm awake, at least like I, I get a lot of psychic dreams, but when I'm awake, I think I'm too much on my left brain. And I just, I think it would be very hard for someone to appear to me awake. Well, how, how about synchronicities? Do you have those? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. And I think part of the reason I get them is because I don't have to be that psychic to, to notice them. Like, right. Yeah. It's physical. So um, they just kind of surprised us. <laughs> But there's also synchronicities uh, you wrote about related to uh, communication with the dead as well. Can you think of any uh, stories that you included in that or, or not? Oh, included? yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I had to include a section on synchronicity in the book because um, <laughs> there are so many good stories. Um, so, so I'm, I'm going to have to tell you three. Hopefully, we have enough time for this. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, the first one uh, is one that I included uh, because it, it's the um, most evidential case that I have come across um, of a child actually having an intermission memory of having used a synchronicity to communicate with their future oh. parents. So mm -hmm. this is um, a case uh, with a little girl named Mandy Seabrook, a little English girl, and she actually had memories of having been her sister who had died very young, I think died as an infant. Um, and in particular, she had memories of her sister's funeral or, or I mean her own funeral um, as, yeah. as her sister. And mm -hmm. she remembered, for instance, her mom like almost falling into the grave because her mom was so distraught and, um, I think on some medications or something, but she almost fell into the grave. And so she, she told her mom about this later, you know, when she's like three or four years old and she's like, you almost fell on top of me in the, in the grave. Um, and she remembered too, uh, an object that she had been buried with that her mom didn't even know about. And her mom said, no, we didn't bury you with that. Um, but then later come to find out that one of her other siblings had actually put that object in the coffin. Uh -huh. So, so there were, hmm. she had a few different intermission memories that were confirmed. And then one day she asked her mom, do you remember the night after I died? Um, there was a, you know, a star, a bright star in the sky. And her mom kind of had to think about it for a minute. Cause I guess, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something she talked about, but when she thought about it, she remembered that on the night that her her daughter had died out um, in their garden, she had seen this particular star that was like really bright and really low. So it yeah. stuck out to her and she had actually mentioned it to someone else at the time. So she remembered um, the timing of it. Well, her daughter, Mandy, said, that was my star. That was my sign to you that I was going to come back. Mm. Wow. Huh. That's interesting. That yeah. is. Yeah, I, I thought it was particularly interesting because it's it's one of these cases where 
it's using like a, a natural occurrence, you know, the right, star right. in the sky. And I feel like it's so easy for us to just discount those kinds of synchronicities when they happen to us or like, okay, yeah, there's a star and, you know, you maybe yeah. get, you know, a sort of feeling like maybe it's your loved one trying to reassure you or something, but it's so easy to just say, no, I'm just imagining it. And so to have this girl actually remember having used a star to communicate is important. So that's mm -hmm. one of my favorite cases for that reason. Um, but another case that I really like uh, comes from Mary Helen Hensley, who's um, written a few books uh, about her, her experiences. She's actually a, a psychic medium. So she has a lot of these kinds of experiences, but in this one case, uh, so she was, she's an American woman, but she was living in Ireland. And on this one particular day, she heard two different people mention this place called Mount Argus that she had never heard of. And mm -hmm. these two, you know, she was like, well, why is everyone talking about Mount Argus? Like, what is this? <laughs> so she, you know, she's kind of tuned into that. Well, the next morning, uh, her, you know, little school-aged daughter wakes her up and she's like, mommy, wake up. Um, Mr. Burke came and talked to me last night. Well, Mr. Burke was a ghost that lived in their house. Uh, somebody who, who used to live there and he, apparently he, he appeared to them a lot. So she was like, yeah, Mr. Burke came and talked to me, um, to give me a clue about how to fix my cough. So she had been really sick and she'd been coughing sometimes like so much that she would throw up. Like it was a really, really bad uh, cough that she had. So she said, this guy came and gave her a clue. So the little girl gets her mom out of the bed and she said, come here, I'm going to show you the clue he showed me and takes her mom to this, the old stairwell in their house that has these bricks along the wall. And she points to the bricks that have the word Mount Argus written in them. Oh, wow. So her mom's like, all right, like this seems to be something. So she goes and talks to the, one of the people that had mentioned this place the day before. She's like, what is this place? Well, uh, why are we talking about it? And the lady says, well, um, Mount Argus is associated with pr this particular saint. Uh, and he's the like patron saint for healing chest ailments. Jeez. So, I mean, again, the pieces seem to fit, but yeah, right. uh, Mary Helen didn't really know what to do with that. Okay. Uh, where do we go from here? So the very next day, an acquaintance of hers, you know, maybe somebody she's talked to like three or four times ever, uh, comes up to her and brings her a gift. He's like, something told me that you needed to have this. And it's a relic from the saint associated with Mount Argus. Wow. God. Yeah. So she decided, well, I'm just going to stick that under my daughter's pillow and we'll see what happens. And she did. And her daughter never had the cough again. Oh, that's incredible. That. So, yeah. wow. So what I thought was, yeah, go oh, ahead. Where, why was there a brick in <laughs> Mount Argus? How, how bizarre is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I my my guess is that the bricks were probably made in Mount Argus. Like, uh -oh. you know, a lot of times they could be stamped with the place. Right, yeah, right. yeah. Uh. That's still bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I really like about the story is that it seems to me the most obvious explanation is that this, you know, ghost that's living in their house wanted to help. Right. So the yeah. first thing he does is he like tries to put this idea of Mount Argus in Mary Helen's head and has people mention it, but she's not paying attention. <laughs> so then he like 
And she's never heard of it before, too. Right, right. So she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what the meaning of it is. So then he talks to the girl and is like, look, now Argus, this will heal your cough. And, you know, Barry Helen still doesn't know what to do about it. So then he has to go prompt someone else to actually bring her the relic. (laughs) So, um, it is, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of synchronicities involved Boy, in that one. Sure. Yeah. What, well, while we're talking, where is Mount Orcus? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, actually. I haven't okay. looked it up on the map. We'll have to no. I mean, it's in right Ireland there. somewhere, but. Yeah, yeah. okay. okay that's it's good, uh, good story. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, I have, I have a question. I just lost my place here. Oh, I have a question. Okay, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I like the stories that you included about phone calls from the dead. I always, oh, yeah, thought, I always thought that was hilarious when I first read about it, but there <laughs> seems to be something to it. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds really silly the first time you hear about it, honestly. Um, but it's been amazing to me how many people have experienced this. Yeah. So, like, there are... There are three books that I know of that are specifically devoted to this topic. Mm-hmm. But quite apart from those three books, it honestly seems like every, you know, paranormal memoir that I read, because I, I love to read memoirs in general, but paranormal ones in particular, every one I read, you know, on one page, they're like, oh, and then, you know, my dead grandma called me on the phone and here's how <laughs> that happened. It's like it just everyone talks about it and and not just, you know, things that I've read in books, but, you know, some of my friends, I think I now have three friends who have actually personally experienced this. So it's, it's gotta be. They actually hear, they actually hear the voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They actually can have a conversation with them. So one of my friends, uh, it was her deceased aunt who talked to her, um, when she was still a child. So, well, maybe a a preteen, Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they had, you know, maybe a five minute conversation back and forth <laughs> about different things. Um, and then, uh, one of my other friends, it was her, uh, grandfather who called her and specifically, um, was talking to her about the fact that she was pregnant and that she was going to have a daughter. And so there was uh. like some sort of precognitive information mm-hmm. in there as well. Uh, which did happen. So, yeah, it's. Yeah, and there's been, uh, you know. Uh, they call on cell phones. <laughs> well, there's more more modern versions, though, that, uh, you know, people coming through through the Internet. Well, uh, also, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we've, we've done included uh, text cases, messages. The text yeah. messages. Yeah. Yes. Uh, where w- one case, a woman had uh, three sons, and one of them had died. I think he'd committed suicide. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the the two sons were in town visiting, and she th- said, "Here's my family is back." Uh, but uh, and that's when she got uh, this message right on yeah. uh, her her computer. Uh, the page this page came up with with a poem that she had written for her deceased son, uh, and she hadn't you know brought it up or been looking at it or anything, but it mm-hmm. suddenly was there, and it, to her it meant that yeah he, it is it is our family we're all here. Well, what about yeah. Nancy? She was another friend of ours who lives in uh, Oregon. Her husband had died, and she was contacting her two daughters saying, you know, why don't you come over and we'll clean out his stuff and and. While she was texting them, all of a sudden, uh, a text message came up that said, I love you. 
and nobody had sent it. (laughs) And they said, oh, my God, Dad, it's Dad. Yeah. So those cases are kind of related to the telephone calls, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another another means, yeah. Yeah, and some of of those text message cases, um, they will actually, the message will be identified as coming from that person's phone. And uh-huh. then when they like they go to look for the phone to see like you know who's playing a joke on us or whatever, and it will turn out that the phone is you know lying under a bed somewhere, hasn't been touched you know in weeks, right. and the battery is completely dead, uh, but somehow it sent them a text message. Yeah, um, so. just incredible. Mm. Mm. Um, also, okay, you explain what you found concerning near death experiences, experiencers that provide evidence for consciousness surviving after death. Well, there's so many different ways um, that they provide this evidence. I think the way that is sort of the most concrete mm-hmm. um, evidentially is the cases where you have people that uh, perceive things that are verified to be true um, that happened while they were, while their brain was not functioning. Right. So, one of the specific cases I talk about is the case of Pam Reynolds, who actually uh, uh, went through a surgery for an aneurysm in her brain. And in order to do that surgery, they had to not only stop her heart and her respiration, but they completely drained the blood from her head. Uh, And it was during that time that she actually perceived some of the things that were going on in the operating room. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like she remembered hearing the operating room staff listen to the song Hotel California while they were <laughs> God, that's working. pretty specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is not the most like uplifting song for going, <laughs> really? through, <laughs> going through that experience. Um, uh, but that, and then she also remembered um, how many times they had to uh, shock her heart in order to restart it. So she Jeez. knew that it was exactly two times, which is apparently not something that you can predict. Um Sometimes takes yeah. a lot more than that. We we knew a psychic years ago who's now deceased, but she used to she told us that when she was pregnant, she died, and saw them delivering her her daughter, and mm-hmm. also she remembered she she related to the doctors afterwards what they were talking about as this happened, and they kind of looked yeah. at her like yeah okay lady <laughs> you know I mean <laughs> this is back in the days when nobody believed this kind of stuff you know? right or yeah. at least if they did you didn't talk about it. Hmm. Well, and one of the other things is that uh, not only do you have people that will report things that happened in the operating room when they shouldn't have been able to, you know, see or hear them, but when they are going through this near-death experience, they actually have an ex- like expanded psychic perception. So they will see things that are happening in other rooms of the hospital. Like there are people who've described okay. operations that other people were undergoing. Um, like a, they mentioned that somebody in the next room was having a leg amputated and we're talking about how that surgery happened um, or talking about what people were doing in the waiting room at the time. And then you have uh, other near-death experiencers who actually uh, appear as apparitions. We get that theme again uh, to other people. So they actually go and appear to their loved ones uh, in other places, other buildings. Well, it's been really fascinating, really Sharon. Is. Uh, I'd like to ask one uh, one other question, though. I like the idea you presented at the end of the essay, in which you suggest that uh, consciousness is the 
like the primary reality and it's like the hardware and physical existence is software, uh, like a software program, one of many. Could you address that a little bit? Yeah, that so uh, another. Gemini thought. <laughs> What'd you say? I said that is a pure Gemini thought. She and I were born on oh. the same day. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I think it's like ultimately the. The thing that is ultimately real, that everything else in the in reality is based on, is consciousness. Mm-hmm. But uh, but consciousness can experience so many different things. And one of the things that consciousness apparently experiences is the physical world. So the physical world is a certain way in which conscious experience is ordered right. um, and made consistent, you know, between experiencers, so that we have it's it's like a very elaborate you know, virtual reality game or, or the matrix or, or something, but, yeah, but not, there's right. not, but I mean, it's a little different from the matrix because there's not people, you know, behind the scenes. Well, I mean, there, there may be, uh, right. It's, it's, I, I don't think it's as uh, dark as that. Um, yeah. There's some debate about that, but, um, <laughs> but I do think that it makes a lot of sense to think of, of everything as being in consciousness. And I mean, the software example is one analogy, but also this idea of, uh, physical existence as a dream and because this right. is actually something that near-death experiencers talk about this you know right. when you when your body dies you actually wake up and you realize that you are way more and you are conscious of way more than you were when you were asleep in your body just like when we wake up from our dreams at night uh-huh. and we like remember our whole life you know things that yeah. we'd forgotten about while we were sleeping yeah it's um, ironic that here they supposedly are dead but they seem like they're more alive or more aware than uh, when they were alive yeah <laughs> yeah that's, exactly what, they, that's the what they tell us when they come back yeah. yep yeah hmm. okay well gosh Sharon, this has been fascinating. Yeah, we've enjoyed uh, I, I, talking with if you. If we ever meet in person, I could just sit and talk with you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. It, it's going to be really fun when we finally get to do it. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I mean, what what is the uh, project planning for Virginia? Are they still the coincidence project? Um, I'm not sure um, what the current plans are. I know that they are talking about doing some kind of um, – uh, in-person event, whether a small retreat or maybe something um, to invite people to, uh-huh. uh, but I, I'm not sure what the current plan yeah. is right I now. just haven't been for the last two times we've been helping Megan move, so it's... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this has okay. been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you very on. much. And we'll yes. send you the link as soon as John puts it up. And Okay. Well, John? And, and Sharon, where can people find you online? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find me on my website blog. Uh, my name is, or my website is Sharon Rollette. Rollette is spelled R-A-W-L-E-T-T-E. Uh, if you just Google me, you'll find me. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, okay, talk to you now. soon. Take care. You too. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. 
Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.